0: And you can be seated, and kids, you can start making your way to your class. So, kids, want to start heading that way. And it will be helpful to follow along. You'll need two pieces of paper. So, hopefully, you got one in your chair. There was one that says "Gospel Driven Repentance," and then hopefully, you got one that came in that on the back will be sermon notes. And there, there's a lot of content this week, so it'll be helpful to have that to follow along. But we are in a series in Revelation that we're calling the victory of Jesus and the vision of Trinity. And we're looking at the risen reigning Christ as he uh, rules and then looking at all right, what does that mean for us as a people and as a church. And one of our key verses comes from Revelation 21 5 where it says, uh, behold, the one who was on the throne says, I am making all things new. And so Revelation is an invitation to us to join Him as He's making all things new. And we're going to spend some time in chapters 2 and 3 over the next four weeks because we're looking at Jesus' evaluative criteria for how He judges His people and His church. And it's it's a, it, Sometimes it can be a hard thing to know and kind of discern. I don't know if you're on Instagram. I'm not. And then Cynthia's account was hacked, and so we had to delete her Instagram account. But um, I have a friend who... Uh, Loves to kind of take shots at just kind of the church in general and then kind of preachers in particular. And this is just how boys show their love. So he was one of my roommates in college. So whenever there's like some type of like scandalous action in the news about some pastor, he'll send me the the story and say, oh, here it is. What do you think about this guy? This is, you know, this is this kind of thing. And he asked me a couple weeks ago, he said, what do you think about, he texted me, he said, what do you think about the Instagram account preachers and sneakers. And I don't know if you're familiar. I was not familiar with preachers and sneakers. And so I looked it up and you think, All right, this is the most, you know, how could this be a popular thing? It's just pastors who we generally aren't known for our style sense, but it's just, it just shows pictures of pastors and their shoes. And it's become this Colossal Instagram account But at the beginning of the week it had 180,000 Followers and I couldn't believe it Because I saw this week that the New Yorker Actually ran a story This week on preachers and Sneakers and so the way it Works is they just look And so Luke bring up the first picture So on the account, what it does, it just takes pictures from prominent pastors that they have posted on their own personal social media feed. And so they're not like sending paparazzi to take. These are pictures people promoted themselves. And uh, what it puts the picture and then it puts the going rate for the shoes like next to the picture. And so like here's one that's Stephen Furtick. He's um, frequently on there. And here's the next one is John Gray, his sneaks. Bring up the next one there. And uh, so those are his sneaks. And so what they want to know, is like the, the question that was asked is what does Jesus think about, you know, you preacher boy, send anything for free and there's no such thing as free merchandise as blessings of the Lord. They're wanting you to market them on your account. Anyway, so it brings up kind of a question. It's like, all right, well, what does Jesus think about those things? And what's interesting is I don't really know what he thinks about their choice in footwear. You know, maybe he's more offended by the fact of wearing tennis shoes with like dress pants. That's just a violation of good style. But I don't know what he might think about it, but actually in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, Jesus is specifically speaking to, I think, pastors in particular, and then he's actually giving his criteria for how he's going to evaluate them, their ministries, and their life. And it's a message to the churches to say, these are the things that matter to me, and these are the things that should matter to you. And this, in essence, is how I'm going to judge you. He gives in Revelation 2 and 3 these messages that are meant to measure their ministry. And he gives them the standard and the, the purpose by which they're to live. He's giving the standard that he's going to measure them. And one of the themes of Revelation is that he's the faithful and true witness. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to spend one week just trying to take the big picture overview of his message to these seven different churches. And then the next three weeks we're going to spend uh, zeroing in on one of the key pieces that he uses to evaluate them. But so this morning let's just kind of get the big picture. And as we do there's a couple of things we'll need to keep in mind just to set the stage uh, one is that I'm even probably going to say uh, Jesus' letters to the seven churches. And just because it's kind of ingrained in how we talk about this, this section, but that's actually not what it is. So it's not, one, it's not a letter to each of the seven different churches. It's one letter to all the churches that he expects us all to hear and then to heed. That's why at the end of every single one, he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. So the idea is that he's going to kind of hold up these seven. He's going to speak to them individually, but then he fully expects everybody else to listen and then make the connection to what he's saying to them. So it's kind of like if you have children. And maybe this doesn't happen in your house, but maybe you can imagine. But one of the children wants to use the back of the couch as like a balance beam to do gymnastics. And then you tell them, you tell that one child, the couch is not a balance beam, no gymnastics on the couch. And then another child pops up there and starts doing gymnastics on the couch. He's like, no, what are you doing? Why didn't you just hear me say no balance beam on the couch? Well, you weren't talking to me. I mean, that's, that's a, a universal rule in the house. Beds aren't trampolines. It doesn't matter whose bed it is. The couch is not a gymna- piece of gymnastics equipment. And so what you want, you want to say something to one, but you expect the others to listen and make their own connections in their life. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He says, "I'm going to speak to each of these seven churches, and then but I expect all of my churches to listen and to make the connections. And one of the fascinating things, I, it's, I don't quite know what to make of it yet. Hopefully, by the end of the sermon series, we'll make some sense of it. But it's like, who is he actually talking to? Look, if you have your Bibles open, look in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And then in every section, it begins to the angel of the church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, to the angel. And it's just intriguing. Who's he speaking to? Everywhere in the book of Revelation, angel means like angel, a heavenly being. But here it could be, it's angelos, it could just be messenger. So it could be the, the, the pastor who's his appointed messenger for those people. But there's just some strange things, like actually when each will call each of them to repentance, but it's always in the singular. Like he's speaking specifically to that, in essence, I think it's the person to the pastor who's to represent and reflect the spiritual vitality and life of the people. But then all of the people are supposed to hear and then heed. So actually what I want to show you is that there's three key areas or criteria of evaluation that Jesus evaluates the churches with and what we want to see is see how he weaves each of those three key criterias through all of his Um, Letters to these churches All of his address and speaking To them and probably the best Place to kind of get the Initial sense of what are Those criteria is to Look at the first letter in chapter 2 2 through 4 To Ephesus and actually Luke go ahead and bring up the image Yeah you got the image so you can see the seven churches here So John's in Patmos And uh, sorry Eli I'm about to move and uh, nice, and, and so you can kind of see one. You can see the letters, and see it's to make a trip around. So just kind of watch. So these are the major churches in the major city centers in Asia Minor in Turkey at this point, and they're to move through this progression. It's to be a circular letter to go through the loop, and we'll start with Ephesus. But to get the categories, notice what he says in verse two. It says, "I know." Everyone starts, or actually look at verse 1, they all start with a characteristic of who Jesus is, something about him. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Some aspect of the risen Christ. And then he says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And have found them to be false. False. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you. You have abandoned the love that you had at first. And there's actually three things you can see there they are going to be the three key categories of criteria. One, uh, or the first one, just to kind of notice, is the doctrine, you know, the apostles' teaching, So you cannot bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles. So there's apostolic teaching. There's doctrine. But then there's also life. Your work, your toil, your perseverance, your patient endurance. I want you to live a life that's faithful to me and to the teaching. So you have doctrine. You have life. But the thing he criticizes is their heart. You've lost your first Love And so those are kind of the three areas of evaluation. Are you holding to the apostles' teaching? Do you have spiritual vitality where you love? And then are you being obedient? So over the next four weeks, we're going to repeat those three categories over and over in a hundred different ways because it's so important to work into your mind, heart, and life. There, there, the three, mind, heart, life, head, heart, hands. You need to know, feel, and do. Uh, Work those three things into... Um, your understanding of what it means to be a healthy Christian and a healthy church. Spiritual vitality, life, love, they reject false teaching and live a life worthy of the gospel. So when you think, all right, what does Jesus care about? What type of sneakers does he care about? I don't know if he does care about those things. But what he does care about is your apostolic teaching, uh, your heart, your spiritual vitality, who and what do you love, and then your obedience. Are you being faithful to live out his commands and being faithful to him? So doctrine, spirituality, life. And then all seven of these churches are going to have to undergo kind of the 360 evaluation from their boss, where he examines them under these categories. And actually, it's helpful just to kind of see the progression. So if you have your little bulletin, notice the movement, because churches one and churches seven are a call to love and vitality. That's where he begins and where he ends. The problem with church one, Ephesus, and seven, Laodicea, is they've lost their first love, and they're lukewarm. There's no spiritual vitality, no love. It's it's hearts that are cold. Their heads could be clear, but their hearts would be cold. So that's where he begins and ends with spiritual vitality and love. But that's not enough. Notice the middle two, churches two and church six, are churches that he actually doesn't critique. They're the only two that he doesn't criticize. But what he calls both of them is to just hold on. Just keep going. Be faithful just keep going. Endurance. He knows they're in difficult places. He knows they're in hard situations. And one of the beautiful things that he says over and over is, I know. I know. I know who you are. I know where you are. I know what you're experiencing. I know. Just keep going. Be faithful in your living. And sometimes it doesn't get a lot of publicity. Like you're not going to have an Instagram account that talks about just normal, everyday, boring faithfulness. But I think often we don't give enough credit to how important just faithfulness is. I was actually thinking about this last week as we looked at the way the diversity around the throne and the way the church is expanding all across the world. Like if you know a lot about the world movement of Christianity, like in this pocket, this where Turkey is now is a part of the 1040 window, which is one of the most unreached places on the planet. But then you think about it because in some sense being unreached is kind of a misnomer because it was reached. They just have lost it. They didn't remain faithful. And one of the most important things when you're planting churches is plant churches that are going to be faithful for generations who are going to do the steady week in, week out of praying and pastoring and loving one another. It's one of the reasons it's so important for our kids' ministries just to be faithful week in, week out, planting seeds and watering the seeds so they'll grow and they can be rooted, faithful, week in, week out. And then you look at the churches in the very center, the three in the very center, they all have a call to fight false teaching. So he criticizes them because they've given themselves over to false teaching. So you can see those three things clearly in the things that he Evaluates And then actually look on your sheet and you can kind of see a long breakdown of kind of those three categories of number one is doctrine, number two is heart, and then number three is life. And you look at kind of each church, these are the things he uses. So the first church in Ephesus, they get praised for their doctrine and they actually get praised for their life. So they're, they're, they're living lives that are worthy of the gospel and their doctrine is sound, but their hearts are cold so they get severely criticized. And you think about the church in Ephesus, we'll look at them more uh, next week. But it's, it's a fascinating kind of study because if there was any church, you know in one sense he praises them because they had sound doctrine. On the one hand, well I think I'd hope they'd have sound doctrine because part of their pastoral pedigree They were planted by the Apostle Paul. And then Timothy was sent in to stabilize them and bring the structures for stability. And then the Apostle John himself came in and was a pastor at Ephesus. So they had a tremendous uh, pedigree and heritage. But then something had been lost. And I wonder what John thought as Jesus starts out and says to the churches in Ephesus, knowing these are the churches he pastored. And then, of course, he would—I mean, he would know better than anyone some of their weaknesses and deficiencies—and want them to grow. But you can see that's the thing that Jesus—he criticizes number two. Then you move into Smyrna, and he doesn't comment on one and two, but he praises them and calls them to faithful living. And then Pergamum—they get severely criticized for the way they had uh, abandoned the apostolic doctrine. Them and Thyatira, and it's worth kind of entering into. We have to feel the force. And the fury of the things that he says about them. He says you, uh, you, you have you know taken the teaching of Jezebel, the teaching of Balaam, the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Which which I hate these things. And I'm going to come and make war on you with the sword of my mouth. And then in the fifth, or Sardis, you know they don't actually get praised for anything. It's like in all three areas, you're dead. You think you're alive, but you're dead. And in Philadelphia, a call to faithfulness. And in Laodicea, they're, they're slightly criticized for one and three, and then severely criticized for number two. So these are the criteria. These are the things he's looking. Are they holding on to the apostolic teaching, the sound doctrine, the truth? And is their life fueled by love for me and love one another? Is there spiritual vitality? And then are they being faithful uh, in their lives, and their callings? And I think it's really helpful to think about, all right, here are the criteria, and then how do these things relate to one another? So yesterday I sent out an article kind of on our, if you're on our email list, uh, you can, um, that's where you fill out the Connect card, and get on our email list and wrote an article. And this is an important kind of concept just to think through. So if you want to pull that up and you can read through it. But I just kind of gave a parable of how do these things relate to one another? And maybe one of the most helpful images that I know of to think about their their interaction is you can almost think about like planting a church, planting a person. You know, the men's and women's Bible studies are going through Psalm 1, such an important text because it talks about how do you be, you can be a healthy tree who's planted by streams of water and you can be fruitful in any season. Well, what are the things you need so you can be fruitful and be vital and have vitality? And life maybe good kind of schematic is think all right if you're gonna have a healthy garden so if we're gonna plant an orange grove here in Florida what are the three things you need one is you you need orange seeds you need actual orange seeds and it's one of the amazing things like you take an acorn or a little seed and think like in this little bitty thing is all of the I don't even know what you call it. I can't even remember my sixth grade science class. But all the things that you need for life is, is embedded in this little bitty thing. you got to have the seeds. But you can't plant peanuts and you can't plant pennies and you can't plant popcorn and expect an orange grove to grow. They have to be orange seeds. But the next thing you need is you need favorable weather conditions. You need favorable soil, you need uh, water, and you need sunlight. I had family who were in the orange grove business in Florida, and they still talk about the freeze of 82. Maybe it was 83. Any of you remember the freeze of 82 or 83? Killed all the orange groves. Because one of the things you need a certain soil and atmospheric conditions for it To thrive. And then the third thing you need is you need a gardener who actually knows (laughs) how to plant and uh, who's skilled in planting, watering, fertilizing, weeding, and harvesting. And what's interesting, kind of the gardener's level of control. Is different. So you actually have no level of control over the seeds, either they are or they aren't, but you do have control of how you can obtain them or you can discover them or you can receive them. The second factor, you kind of have the least, or you you don't have a whole lot of control over the soil conditions and the weather. Uh, There has to be sun and showers. You do have some control over the third factor, but even though it's probably the least, Amount of all of them. And you think about these kind of three categories. If you're going to have a healthy church or you're going to be personally healthy, you need all three of those things. I think the seed is comparable to the doctrine. It's like sound doctrine, it's biblical truth, theological clarity. And this is an image that it's the word, the truth of the word. And this is the image that Jesus used all throughout. You know, one interesting kind of study you could do is just read through all the different parables and find out how many times Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like and then uses a story with a seed. It's like a seed. And the seed's always the word that gets planted and then it grows. And so the first kind of essential thing is you've got to have biblical truth. And oftentimes that gets um, downplayed. And I think that's, that's a a foolish way to go because I think it distorts the reality and it's, it's dangerous. But the biblical truth is necessary, but it's not enough. You can have a handful of seeds that aren't ever going to grow if they don't get planted in the right place. And the second thing you need is the right weather factors. You need the, the rain and you need the sun to bring the seeds to life. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter. You can have the right truth, but if you don't have the work of the Holy Spirit uh, shining down, it's not going to be fruitful. And that's kind of like the what churches one and seven are so they don't have the, the vitality of the Holy Spirit where they love him and there's that spiritual energy. And then the third factor is you just need to be faithful in your context. There's certain things that he wants you to do in that culture, in that community, in that place, so you can grow and you can bloom. And for each church, what they're called to actually do is going to be different. That's why in the beginning, every single message he says, I know. I know your situation. I know the street you're on. I know the place you're in. I know the circumstances around you. I know all of these things, and in all of these things, there's a way that I expect and want you to be faithful. I know to have given themselves over, uh, or they've uh, they need help with their doctrine. You think the first solution is all right? Well, you need a teacher. You need a class. Or the first who's, their hearts are grown cold. All right, we need something to do. Maybe you need some type of vacation to revive your love. Or the people to be faithful. All right, you need need a pathway on these are the things you're supposed to do. But none of those are the first steps. With every single church, the first step is always to repent. Look in 2, chapter 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent And do the works you did at first. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, repent. And then in 3, you can see what he calls in 3, chapter 3, verse 3. Remember what you've heard and received. Keep it and repent. And then in chapter 3, verse 11. So hold fast to what you have. Keep it. And then to the Laodiceans, uh, repent with zeal. In verse 19, 3 verse 19, why is it that the first step for healing and health in all situations is to repent? And so what we're going to do is you have a little sheet that says gospel-driven repentance. And what? let me challenge and encourage you to read through that every single day for the next four weeks. So four weeks will be in this section. And ask the Lord to work into your heart this gospel-driven dynamic of repentance. This is actually how you prepare the soil of your own heart so the seeds can get planted in it and then it can grow and be fruitful. It begins with repentance. And where this line comes from, uh, this comes from a line from George Whitfield, And I remember being a 21-year-old kid and wrestling with what I was going to do with my life and Feeling like God was calling me into the ministry, but thinking that 's such a terrible thing because I mean there's all types of uh, i didn 't know you would get retro air Jordan ones if you were in as a preacher. I might have been more excited, but one thing like I, at the time, I had this just debilitating fear of speaking in front of people and just knew one of the um, one of the occupational hazards of a pastor is we have to talk in front of people. And uh, but felt God was calling me in the ministry and was actually reading uh, in St. Simon's, Georgia, when my family was on vacation, reading a little book on George Whitfield, And uh, there was a line in there when he was he was also about 20 and he was uh, going to be a missionary to Georgia. And he had all this zeal of taking the gospel to these places. And he wrote in his journal this line. He said, Lord, give me a deep humility, a burning love a well-guided zeal in a single eye, and then let men and devils do their worst. His idea is, all right, if the Lord will give me this, then everything else will be taken care of. And that became like a theme sentence for my life. And then a couple years later, I came across an article by Tim Keller called All of Life is Repentance. And what he does, he actually takes this line, and I'll email that out this week in our he takes this line and shows how you can actually take each of those categories and you can pray and work gospel-centered repentance into your life. So let me encourage you over the next three or four weeks is to take either uh, do the whole list or it just one each day and ask the Lord to start working these things in your life. So Luke, let's go ahead and bring them up. And we're going to close by just spending a few minutes praying Uh, collectively and together, and ask that each of these things would be uh, worked into our life. So let's pray. So Lord, we thank you for your word, and we begin by asking that you would give us a deep humility, and then as we kind of walk, the things to do is first just kind of examine your own heart, and then repent. So ask yourself, have I looked down on anyone this week? Have I been too stung by criticism this week? Have I felt snubbed or ignored this week? And if so, confess it, repent, and then ask the Lord to give you a, a decreasing disdain for other people maybe a decreasing pain over their criticism. And then in the light of the gospel, you can let go of the need to always keep up a good image because it's too great of a burden, and now because of what Christ has done, it's unnecessary. So we can seek to be grateful. We can have grateful, restful joy. So, Lord, we confess that how often we look down on others We confess that we can be so easily stung by slights, perceived slights. Some of them aren't even real or true, but we can be so easily stung by criticism. We can often feel snubbed or ignored, and we ask that you help us. We confess these things. We ask that you would make us the kind of people who um, have a decreasing disdain for others, decreasing pain over their criticism. And we don't have to try and pretend to keep up a good image because uh, it's too exhausting. And in the light of the great gift of your son and your spirit, it's not necessary. So we ask that you would make us the people that are filled with a grateful, restful joy. And the second thing we examine is ask for a burning love versus indifference. And so we examine our heart and say, this week have I spoken or thought unkindly about anyone? Am I justifying myself by charactering others or putting them down? Am I impatient? Am I irritable? Have I been self-absorbed or inattentive? (laughs) And if so, we confess. And we ask him to work in our hearts so there'll be no coldness, no unkindness, no impatience, no indifference. We want to meditate on his free grace until it causes our heart to feel warm and affection. So Lord, we confess to you how often we speak unkindly of people, how often we justify ourselves by putting others down, how we are so quick to be impatient. And irritable and we can so often be so self-absorbed and inattentive to those around us so we confess that and we ask that you help us help us to be kind of people who have no coldness to others in their heart no unkindness no impatience no indifference help us to meditate on your grace until it warms us and then we pray for a well-guided zeal or wise courage versus anxiety And so we ask ourselves, have I avoided task or people this week? Have I been anxious? Have I been worried? Have I been rash or impulsive? And what we ask the Lord to work in our heart is that we'd have no cowardly avoidance of hard things. No anxious or rash behavior we would seek thoughtfulness and strategic boldness so lord we confess to you that oftentimes we avoid hard tasks we avoid difficult situations or hard people very often we're anxious and worried about things and then we can be rash and impulsive and so we confess that and we ask that you help us help us not to avoid difficult things or situations help us not to be anxious or rash in our behavior but help us in all things to be wise and to be courageous and thoughtful and have strategic boldness. And the last thing here is pray for a single eye. Maybe what he would say, godly motivations versus idolatry. So we ask: am I doing the things? What's motivating my heart? Am I doing what I'm doing for God's glory? Am I being driven by fears and need for approval? Am I being driven by a love of comfort and ease or a desire for control or a hunger for acclaim or power? Am I looking at others with envy? Am I giving over to the first motions of lust or gluttony? Is my time being spent on urgent things or important things because of these, or unimportant things because of these inordinate desires? And the way we repent here is to ask, how does Jesus provide for me what I'm looking for in all of these other places? So Lord, we confess how often uh, things can become idols in our heart and we can do things not for your glory but for other things being driven by fear or desire to be praised or love or desire for comfort and ease or control or acclaim or power. And we look on others with envy and can give ourselves over to these things, we ask that you help us. We ask that you would help us see how in your Son and in your Gospel you provide all these things that we need, and we can be set free from all of those things. And this we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. And the thing you see is if you would work those things regularly and routinely into your heart, it would create a soil and an atmosphere that the Word can come in and then the fruits of the Spirit can bloom. You would become a person that's marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. These would be the fruits that would bloom in your life. And those are the things that we want to be and we want to experience. So join us over the next four weeks as we look at those things and try and pray these things into our heart. But right now we're going to switch and transition over to the Lord's table because in many ways the Lord's table is like the physical tangible seed that it kind of comes into you and it's to remind you of how you can experience His grace, His forgiveness, and His transforming power. So Lord, we confess that we don't come to You trusting in our own goodness, in our own righteousness. And as we come to the table, we ask that You help us May we be the kind of people who love your truth. May we be the kind of people who are constantly refreshed and renewed by your spirit. And then may we be the people who are washed clean by your blood so that we can live holy and different and transformed lives. And all this we ask in Christ's holy name.